Hi, this is Masajati. Welcome to my podcast, Exponential Intelligence. Um, today, it's an honor to have a special guest here, Billy Carson from Forbidden Knowledge, the number four and then Bidden Knowledge. Uh, we're just going to jump in. This guy is so exciting. I tapped into him. Um, he's got a lot of cool stuff going on. And uh, with his knowledge, with my knowledge, uh, I think it's going to be a fantastic um, informational session here. Uh, Billy, do you want to just jump right in? Tell, tell us what you're about. Sure. Uh, my name is uh, Billy Carson. I'm the founder of Forbidden Knowledge. Uh, it's an actual company. It's not just a social media name. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's also my artist name because I have quite a few songs on all music platforms, uh, mostly instrumentals that I've got. Uh, programmed and encoded at 432 hertz or 528 hertz but i'm also a team host for many shows uh so i've been on uh deep space ancient civilizations uh i've been on the science channel discovery channel i have i'm on shows on the travel channel currently right now and uh so people have utilized my my knowledge and information for research for documentaries and shows as well as to have me on as a personality that can kind of um, give some insight into what i may think myself that's going on and through that, my blogs and everything else, I've pretty built uh, built up a very big following, mostly in ancient civilizations and advanced technology. That's pretty awesome. So, you know, I tapped into you, and uh, and we just I, I figured out. So, but if you want to share how you got into, you know, ancient civilizations, aliens, how you got into that. Yeah, sure. And if you don't mind me sharing some of the stuff that I saw in you, either. Sure, that'd be fine. Yeah, fine yeah. by me. Yeah. yeah. So I literally started um, as a kid. I was, uh, we moved from Cambria Heights, Queens, which I just had the benefit of going back there after uh, 20 years. I had been here in 20 years in uh, New York. Mm -hmm. I just landed back in Florida. Uh, and uh, we moved from that nice suburb to uh, Opelika, Florida in Miami, uh, which is a, was a pretty hard area to, to live and grow up in. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, but we lived close to an airport. So what I would do, um, you know, and during the summers, I would go out in the backyard uh, look up at the sky and watch the airplanes go over. So I had gotten very good at looking at the different types of airplanes, these small private planes that would fly over. And um, one day I'm out back and there's this object that flies over and it didn't look oh. like an airplane, didn't have wings, didn't have a, a cockpit, didn't, didn't have um, uh, you know, uh, a fuselage. And, and so I knew right away what I saw was not an airplane. I didn't know what a UFO or a flying saucer was at that time. It wasn't in my vocabulary yet. I just knew that I didn't see a plane. So Right away, I was thinking, what in the heck could this be? Because they cleared the horizon in seconds, not minutes. That was like, it had to be wow. going really fast, you know? And even as a kid, I knew that, that that was unbelievable. But it came back, hovered above me, and then took off out the way that, you know, it actually came in. And mm -hmm. I was like, what in the world did I just see? It was more like an oval shape, not really a circle, not, not a 365-degree circle, but more like an oval, um, gleaming, shiny, metalish with a glow. So I went to uh, my elementary school, which is right down the street, and I went to the library, Encyclopedia Britannica. This is 1977. I got all the Encyclopedia Britannica on aerospace, and I started researching mm. aerospace. Yeah, literally. Uh, and I mean, and, and what, the way the universe works, uh, the, not even a week and a half later, the, the knock on the door comes, and it's the Encyclopedia salesperson. And, you know, it was back then. remember those. Yeah. And my mom got approved. And I, and I was in heaven. I had all the encyclopedias. I mean, so oh, I started so cool. everything from physics, aerospace, biology, astrology, astro, I mean, uh, astrophysics. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you, you know, it was just incredible. And um, 
everything from mechanics, all of it was there. And uh, so that's how I really, you know, got into aerospace tech and trying to research. I'm trying to find what I saw. Much later, I had an experience. This is back now in like 2010, uh, where I was working on a very big project called Fort Terranova. And while I was working on this project, which is the underground shelter system I was building in Northwest Georgia, uh, I was in my house in Florida. And, you know, these, uh, the house, the, first of all, the room turned lavender. And when I looked over my left shoulder to see if my boys were playing a trick on me, uh, nobody was there. When I turned around, there were two gray aliens right in front of my face, like within inches of my face. So how um, old were you around now? That was, uh, well, I'm 49 uh, now, so um, 2010, you know, wherever that is. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So okay. Um, I just, um, I started trying to scream, but no sound was coming out. And, um, mm-hmm. and uh, they didn't give me any telepathic words. Like you hear people say, you know, they talk to me telepathically and things like that. They just of course, yeah. You know, little slits for ears and nose and mouth. They didn't mm-hmm. move at all. They were completely like, st- you know, stiff or sealed. Like, uh, like right. you, know, you couldn't even open them. It's weird. But anyway, they whatever they were doing, my mind started shaking. My brain started shaking in my skull to the point where it was painful. And uh, it happened for about, I would say, just guessing 15, 20 seconds. It was pretty quick. It didn't last too, too long. Mm-hmm. And then they just turned around and they kind of just dangled away. They look like they're on a bouncing rope or something. They look like they were like puppets. I don't know if it's the gravity or the, the, the how they entered the I don't know what it was, the dimension. I don't know what it was, but they didn't walk like us. And they went yeah. like and then the lights came back, everything came back. I ran around the house and nobody heard a sort of thing. And the house had everybody in it, but everybody was in their separate rooms and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, it was just uh, one of those craziest things. But how I got into all this other stuff was they, a phrase started coming up in my mind consistently, and that was worldwide telescope over and over again, thousands of times, to the point where I said, okay, I got to figure out what this is. So I went to a computer, and I, it was at Excite.com because Google was, you know, I, it used to have more options back then. It wasn't just Google. So I yeah. typed in Excite.com, and I typed in um, worldwide telescope search, and the first thing that popped up was worldwidetelescope.org. And I almost wow. thought because it's a real website and it's paid for by the taxes, our taxes and everything. We, we, we help support that and partially mm-hmm. funded by Microsoft. But in there was software that you download, install, and then it actually gives you this software that lets you view all the space probe data from the rovers and, uh, you know, uh, Huygens probe and the, the Mars Global Surveyors and Apollo missions. Everything's in there and you can view mm-hmm. it. And what was amazing was when I went in, the first thing that caught my eye was Mars, then panoramas. I said, okay, let me click on that. And then I went into, I think, an opportunity rover panorama. And it mm-hmm. gives you a perspective as if you're in the rover's camera. And then you can zoom in, zoom out, pan left and right. It's stitched images. That's a phenomenal way to do it. And I started seeing anomalies right away, things that didn't belong, or I thought didn't belong there on Mars. And I started cataloging them little by little. And eventually, I started realizing that these anomalies re- resembled these ancient structures that we have here on Earth with these megalithic blocks and everything. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> if these things are on Mars and these things are here, I got to dig deeper into these things on Earth to figure out who put them on Mars. And that's how I got into looking into ancient civilizations and digging mm. deeper. I was already dabbling in it, but then now I really went in very, very hard and started mm. to a link between ancient civilizations and advanced technology. So you were seeing artifacts that were here 
on Earth on Mars. Right, exactly. Similar, extremely similar. Like the like I've been to Peru, like those gigantic stone walls of Peru that are interlocking blocks that you can yeah. how they well, those are on Mars too. Pyramids are on oh, Mars, things wow. on Mars. Um, and then there's a lot of technology or pieces that look technological, but that look more advanced than what we have here on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a combination of ancient and kind of uh, super advanced, uh, and it makes you scratch your head and go, what in the world? But then when you read the Enuma Elishan, the Seven Tablets of Creation, which is about mm-hmm. 7,000-year-old epic etched into stone in cuneiform writing found in Iraq, you discover that they had talked about all of this uh, all those many thousands of years ago, and these were the Ejiji people that were on Mars, and they were mm-hmm. advanced to come back and forth from Mars to Earth, and they even came here to go to war against Enki and Enlila at one time in the ancient past because of the workload. There was a big fight over how much work they were being forced to do, and they were going to have a coup. Um, but yeah, so it's a real amazing story, but it's all ancient text. Wow, that's pretty wild. So, so the images that you were seeing, so where's the, like, like, okay, right now. So then when did you start, like, the company for Bidden Knowledge? Well, I started uh, another company before then called Survive Pole Shift, and that was okay. a company that was tapping into a lot, a little bit of forbidden knowledge, but mostly about forbidden knowledge about geological disasters when I started finding out what happened on Mars. It looked like it mm-hmm. had two pole shifts and maybe even a war based on the xenon, weapons-based xenon mm-hmm. they found in the soil and the atmosphere. So I was thinking something similar could happen on Earth. That's why I started building the shelter. Um, so, um, you know, what, what I started realizing was that uh, the anomalies uh, that were up there were extremely uh, similar to the ones we had here. And then I said, wait a minute, this is, there's got to be a one architect. So when I looked into um, some of these texts, I started realizing, okay, they're talking about these ancient wars. Mars is the god of war. Uh, and... Now I'm starting to realize that these myths were real, true realities that did happen, but people were trying to mm-hmm. explain it in the best way that they possibly could. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I started realizing that, wow. So, you know, the, the NASA has a lot of space probe data. So does the European Space Agency. And between the two of them and a little bit of Russia and some of India, a little tiny drop of China, because that's mostly moon work, um, you can start to paint the picture that uh, we had a super advanced civilization here in this solar system in the ancient past, they were the Anunnaki slash Atlanteans that uh, at a point went to war against each other, mostly using mm-hmm. beings as cattle, just like they do now. They'll take you out of high school, send you halfway around the world to kill a guy in a $5 tent with a million dollar bomb. You don't even know who that guy was. Your mm-hmm. whole free education is what you're trying to do. So you kill somebody for a free education. Meanwhile, the mm-hmm. main at the top, they're really fighting each other, but using us to do the actual dirty work. Mm. It was the same system back then. Kind of like AI. <laughs> We're developing AI to fight wars for us. Right. They're just using us as... Okay, yeah. got it. So, so, so you started Forbidden Knowledge, and then that is solely based on research? Yeah, based on research. So I figured, okay, now that I've learned all of this, uh, I'm tapping into it heavily, and I've gone through now over a thousand cylinder scrolls, text, books, scriptures, and everything else. I said, okay, the good name will be forbidden knowledge because it's not that it's um, uh, um, unattainable knowledge. It's just been kind of forbidden. So it's very hard to find because you have to go through so many different aspects of information and, 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 uh, and um, content to put it all together. It's mm-hmm. so you know, dislocated. So I, when I noticed that I had the capability of putting information from the Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita, the Indian Vedas, 
the the Enuma Elish, the Atra Aces epic, the epic of Gilgamesh, the Bible, the Quran, the the you know, um, the non Kamadi scripts. I had the capability of putting it all together instead of somebody trying to figure out for two lifetimes what this all meant. So I said, this has got to be forbidden knowledge. And so I started forbidden knowledge uh, back in 2011, and I began putting out these my um, perception based off of ancient information, knowledge, and some advanced technology, and showing people this correlates to this, this correlates to this, this correlates to this. I'm going to paint you a picture now so you might start to get an understanding of what happened in this situation and that situation, and maybe even get an overall picture of how uh, we got to this point right now in our civilization. So you collect a lot of data, so like your raw images and all. Where do you, where do you get those? We get the raw images directly from the space agencies because, you know, the biggest thing with them is with the elites behind the scenes that control a lot of this information, they have to hide everything in plain sight. That's kind of like their, um, their, that gives them the, I guess, the right, so to speak, to exercise their will over us because we, because of our, our, um, our laziness and our silence, it puts us in full collusion. So they put everything out there. It's part of their ritual. So they put everything available. Maybe hard to find, but it definitely is available. Uh, and uh, they, you know, the European Space Agency, the NASA Space Agency, uh, India, China, so forth and so on, Russia. And we've downloaded now over a million images, and we've wow. downloaded 58,000 anomalies. Yeah, a lot of them have been on the news as well. So, so NASA and the other space agencies, so they've been known to suppress information. Mm-hmm. Um, but then why would they put them on the website or how do you know they could be you know, trusted? Well, you know, you're dealing with entities and, and companies that are um, agencies, I should say, that are obviously suppressing information because if you contact them and say, hey, this is what I saw, which I've done, they just say, oh, you're just, um, you're just seeing things. But because, <laughs> now they do try to obfuscate some of the images, but so many, there's so many anomalies, they can't even hide all, the, all of the anomalies with their editing. So they miss mm-hmm. them. So it's not that they're not trying to turn them into rocks and make them look like they're dirt, but it's so literally so many within a square mile area, you might have four or 500 anomalies, pieces of broken things all over the place that shouldn't be there because it looked like it was a global flood that left these things out there like that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, um, you know, it, it's, um, it's really strange. And so what they've done is, you know, they can't catch it all. So what they do is they literally let some slip through. And if you find it and say something about it, they just say, oh, it's just, it's just an illusion. You're just seeing things, um, you know, mm-hmm. so on and so on. But meanwhile, those objects, those anomalies are really there. And it's, uh, so, um, the majority of them you can see with the naked eye. Some you have to use a magnifying glass. Some you need to take into a filter because they put a fake red filter on everything. Mars is not uh, dark red like that. They even say really? false color. Oh, yeah, yeah. They say false color on the images. They tell you that's not. It looks more like Arizona. <laughs> Why the, that's so weird so that kind of gets me to another uh, question so why just like these agencies why would they want to cover something up like that well the main reason is for control because you see the, the, let's look at one aspect of it religion religion is a multi-trillion dollar industry just in America annually and it, it, it it's multi-trillion holy shit yeah, multi-trillion. It's more money in religion in America in one year than all the tech companies in Silicon Valley combined in one year. Wow. That's a lot of money. 
That's a lot of that's juice. a lot of money. That's a lot of politicians getting a lot of that submarine money underground, you know, behind the door, um, mm-hmm. and so forth, and constituents and everything else. The next thing is also the economy. So what happens when we realize that there was life on other planets and there's these advanced civilizations that did exist? Well, what technologies did they use? We want to know what you're finding out there. Now, when we realize they may have had access to zero-point energy, they may have found a way to live with these types of hovering technologies that we kind of see in some of these images. Well, we want those technologies here, too. So you can't just take them and hide them from us and don't show us what they are. We're going to start asking Mm -hmm. too many questions. If we can get access to those type of technologies, it could topple the current economic system that they have with fiat money and everything based off of natural gas and oil and so forth and so on. Uh, you know, people will start asking so many questions. We're going to want to get, a, get away from this, this uh, matrix system that they put on over us and get into a more green type of a society. And they want to do it at a very slow pace. And we may, we may want it instantaneously. And the third thing is weaponry. Okay, so the main objective of all these governments is always to find out what they can utilize as a weapon. What can they weaponize? So if they find technology out there and they told us all about it, now they can't make a weapon out of it behind the scenes. But if they find some advanced weaponry and they haven't told us about it or some technology they can probably reverse engineer, now they can go make all their weapons behind the scenes. It'll become mm-hmm. labeled top secret. We won't have access to any of the information. We'll never know it even existed until some kind of weird war uh, erupts and they, and they decide to use it. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty crazy shit. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of like in the same boat as you, uh, just pushing or bringing out the truth in a different respect. You know, mm-hmm. our understanding our truth, who we are, uh, you know, deep ourselves, uh, deep within us. Um, you know, you've got a lot of images, but the, I'm sure there's a lot of people that go, well, how do you know that stuff isn't, you know, from Earth? Yeah, or taking well, that's a good question too. But you got to see, I mean, you look at images that we've, a lot of the anomalies that we've discovered, these things aren't on Earth. Some of these things are some of the most bizarre carvings or look what look like carved statues that you just don't see this artwork here on Earth. And they're dilapidated, they're broken. Uh, there are pieces of them laying around. You have to almost like put it back together sometimes. Uh, there's pieces of technology laying around all over the place. And I don't know of any place on Earth that has gigantic pieces of technology just kind of laying out open in the um, in the deserts like that you know um, I just I just haven't seen it and I've been all over the world mm-hmm. but you know a lot of the photographs I've seen you know that it's not the best quality and I know there's a lot of technology in the rovers and you know the satellites and all that um, can you explain the technology or why it's mm-hmm. grainy like that they have, uh, well, on the Mars Curiosity World, for example, they've got uh, uh, several cameras on there that are super HD 4K cameras that have the range of even zooming in three miles, okay? Three mile distance they can find, they can pinpoint wow. something and take a clear copy of it. Um, but what they do is they say that in order to get the transmission speed proper, <laughs> they've got to, you know, reduce the amount of uh, megabytes in the images to get them mm-hmm. to loaded to the global surveyor and then sent back to earth. That's their excuse for not giving us the high quality, you know, HD images, which of course they have a copy and then they slide off to us, the, the cheap, you know, reduced, uh, reduced quality copies. They also have mm-hmm. a, a camera and an audio with uh, mounted with audio on the rover as well, the curiosity, curiosity rover. And however, 
to date, we still have never seen one video or heard one sound uh, from the Martian surface. So we, we uh, through the Mars Curiosity rover. So we need mm -hmm. to um, do a, a Freedom of Information Act request, and we need to start a petition to pull down that video, the raw video data, unedited, and the, uh, and the audio as well. Uh, so this, this rover is mounted with superior technology, you know, but they keep giving us the, the worst and most horrible images and, sound, and uh, uh, horrible images and uh, panoramas. So you're saying somewhere uh, NASA or some agency is holding the, the higher quality images. Oh, yeah, they've got it. Yeah, probably the team leaders and so forth that have the higher level clearance. I don't even think that some of the most of the NASA people that actually work there have access to a lot of that data. By the time it gets to them, they're still getting, they're getting the ones that, that we're seeing. The rover itself has the capability of mm -hmm. taking the photo, making a copy of it, and then editing one of the photos, in other words, putting that obfuscation on that false color on it, and then transmitting it with the false color already on it, turning things that might be anomalies into rocks or looking like rocks or sand. Uh, so it pre-edits or pre-obfuscates before it even transmits it from Mars to Earth. And this is admitted by them. So this is a uh, you know a technology that they're using, and I think that obviously the higher ups get that Krypton encoded uh, version of the high quality, and then mm. the ones that came through pre-obfuscated come to us. Mm. That's pretty wild stuff. I can I can understand that. Yeah. So let's go deeper. Um, Ancient civilizations. Mm -hmm. So what types of ancient civilizations that are discovered or have you discovered mm -hmm. uh, here on Earth or uh, yeah, on Mars? Or Initially, you know, I used to think when I first started looking into these ancient texts, especially before the situation with the, the Greys, I used to think that these were um separated civilizations that that just kind of uh were oh these were these people at this time and these were these people at this time and mm -hmm. now after many more years of investigative research i've come to realize that all of these ancient civilizations no matter how far back and how you know how far away they are from each other in time they were all basically one same civilization and that was the atlantean mm -hmm. civilization that was run by the anunnaki the people who from heaven came to earth uh, Anunnaki is a term used for beings coming to Earth from space. It's a generalized term. It's not a specific race of beings. It's just a generalized term. Now, the people themselves that were here, they call themselves the Atlanteans or the sons of Atlantis. Uh, and that's, that comes from some of the oldest texts you can find, uh, like the Emerald Tablets of Thoth and, uh, and things like that. You discover that these people uh, were here before the Great Flood. Now, in the Emerald Tablets, for example, which is why I, why I had to write my book, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets, because the first thing I saw was that the flood water started subsiding. That's the opening verse. The flood waters are subsiding, the mountain peaks are coming back up, and some people have survived this flood. And Thoth's dad is talking to him, who's actually Enki, and he's telling him, okay, I want you to go to the land of the, of the hairy barbarians and help bring them back to a high mm. level position. Which means at one point in the past, before this flood, global flood, we were already at a high level. So he's saying, bring us back. So Nat told me, wow, before the flood, antediluvial, there was something huge. So then I started looking then there, and I found the Sumerian Kings list. And the Sumerian Kings list is on display at the Ashmolean Museum in Oxford, England. And it has a list of kings, a handful of kings that ruled for over 200,000 years on this planet. 
Some kings ruled for 14,400 years. Some moved for 28,000 years and so forth and so on. On this planet? On this planet, yeah. Antediluvial. Uh, these are the kings before the Great Flood. And it even tells you what cities that their home, the, 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 the capital was, you know, the world capital at that time. Mm -hmm. They gave their kingship over to somebody else. Uh, and it's like, wow, this is amazing stuff. And this is like the main display at the museum. This is well-documented information straight out of Mesopotamia, which is Iraq, which is uh, why they want to suppress us. They don't want us to know that the, the cradle of civilization for Homo sapiens sapiens, which is us, really began in Iraq. That's what they're trying to decimate that entire place, that region. Uh, so then I said, wow. So these are the, then what happened was after the flood, they said, okay, we're going to rebuild all these civilizations. But then now we're going to be the, we're going to use one of our offspring or one of our bloodline of a mate of a, home, of a human and us to make a baby, a, a demigod. That will be our liaison. That will be our liaison between the rest of the people. We won't have to deal directly with the people anymore. We'll just use a liaison to deal with the people, and they will answer to us, and we'll talk to them. And that way, we ain't got to deal with these multitudes because they got tired of dealing with these multitudes and everything else from the previous era. So that's when the Pharaonic dynasties and everything else started to begin in the land of Kem, which was uh, the land of Kemet, which is pre-Egypt, long before Egypt even existed. It was it was Kemet, uh, and that meant the land of the black people. It started off with black people, and then over many thousands of years, uh, Egypt was overthrown. Or Kem was Kem was overthrown. One first, and then so the uh, the people that were the Dogons, they actually moved to Mali, Africa. They they left. They got the heck out of there, and they got taken over. And it's been taken over seven different times. So Assyrians, Persians, you know, everybody had their run at Egypt. Greeks, you know. So it, over time, it changed to many different races. Uh, but they started. They started. So I was like, wow, these people. And then what the key thing was when he said, now that we've rebuilt the land of Kim, I, he was talking to his crew. Both was. I want you guys to go around the planet and duplicate what we did here. And so now I'm going, wow. So now you see where we got the same pyramid structures, the same building techniques, the same type of blocks, mm. and blocks all over the planet, all with the same alignments to Orion, to the Sirius Arca, Aldebaran, and so forth and so on. They're all from a master architect and then copycat it with slightly different motifs on them because the artistic rendering of the person who's in charge of that region. And then when I looked into it, I said, okay, it's interesting. Let's look into genetics of a human being. Why are there different races of people, even though we're one human race? Why are, there, why are people different? Black people are not black because they went and got their, my ancestors were in the sun too long. That's not why I'm white. You're not white because you were uh, in, you know, in an area that didn't have a lot of sunlight. Didn't make any sense to me. Even that, and so I researched it, and there's actually genetic uh, scientific proof that all species, or all races, I should say, of humans have a 2% variance in genetic material. Now, mm -hmm. to get a 2% variance in genetic material for the amount of years that we've been homo sapien is impossible. Even mainstream science says we would have to have been gone millions and millions of years for that 2% variance to naturally occur. But we have it on everything. We have Asians, Caucasians, Africans, uh, you know, uh, indigenous mm -hmm. all over the planet. And everybody saw everybody. Now, what happened is when they got sent out, these kings of these Atlantis people, they went to different regions of the planet and they put a genetic marker on the people they were ruling over. Mm -hmm. So people ruling over the people from in the region of the Caucasus Mountains, they talked about in the Sumerian Tablets when they started creating the Caucasian and the Sumerian Tablets from the Caucasus Mountains. Um, uh, you know, I should say created, genetically modifying is the right term, because they didn't create human beings. We were already here, but they genetically modified what was here. But anyway, 
Yeah, you know, so that's um, how they start. So they just put genetic marker, genetic marker, genetic marker. It's like, these are my, it's almost like how we brand cows, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. So, and that was how uh, they started to rebuild civilization all over the planet with their own people that they all ruled over. And in the future, at some point, they began to go to war with each other over jealousy, over, over kingships and who rules this region, who rules that region, all this stuff. And there's a lot of battles, and those battles are recorded in a lot of texts. And even in the modern-day Bible, in the book of Deuteronomy, you can find out about a lot of these battles that, that occurred between these Anunnaki people utilizing humans to go to war for them. So, so obviously you believe that there's life on other planets. Oh, yeah. This war came down into, into all of the planets and moons in our solar system. Venus, Mercury have life on them right now, I believe. There's structures up there. You can find the structures. We've documented many structures on Mercury and Venus. Uh, Titan, the moon Titan, uh, the, the moon Triton, uh, Enceladus. All these moons are habitable, and there's life on all these moons as well. So, so, so like Mercury, mm-hmm. um, it's really a hot planet. Not anymore. The Mercury Messenger mission just came back with the data two years ago, and they were even stunned. I couldn't believe they even talked about this on TV. They made an official press release and a video and everything that there's billions of tons of organic material and liquid water on Mercury. So when you analyze Mercury, it takes 61 days to turn on its axis. So one Earth day is 61 days on Mercury. Now, what's the significance of that? That's a long day. It's a long day. (laughs) Never in the sunlight. Yeah. And if you go towards the poles, now you're getting a more normalized temperature in this gigantic, uh, you know, multi-hectare acres of liquid pools of water all over the place and billions of tons of ice water, organic material. And one of the biggest structures I ever found was a one mile wide structure on mercury. It doesn't rain molten lead like I used to say when we were kids and all that other kind of crazy stuff. They're finding out that there's even more oxygen now on mercury. Earth has, I think, 21 or 22% oxygen uh, per cubic meter. Maybe less than that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Mercury is 41. <laughs> really? So, you could get high on that, on, yeah, on Mercury, yeah, Take a deep breath and go, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of atmospheric gases up there that we breathe here. Yeah, yeah I heard that the, uh, they, they found water, but I, I, I didn't know that they had discovered, like, actual, like, lakes. I thought they were, like, frozen or something like that, but... No, no, there's billions of tons, according to them, billions of tons of liquid water, like some of these little, what they what look like craters. To me, I think mm-hmm. some of these really water reservoirs, there's melted so, water in them. So it's actual water, like H2O, it's not another liquid. Yeah, it's not frozen um, carbon dioxide or nothing like that. It's actual H2O water, liquid water, which they can, got, they, they can get that information from the light spectrometer. They can see I'll turn it off. They can see what the actual um, uh, what you know what elements are there, what molecules are there based off of light refraction. So it's a pretty standard thing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So in order for it to be water, there has to be a sustainable temperature. Yeah, pretty much like Earth. Exactly. So, so would there be vegetation? Would it be what? vegetation oh well they say organic materials now you know who knows i don't know you know that's all they say is organic uh um, you know but but you don't they don't really go any further than that um Mm -hmm. i haven't seen any vegetation there i have seen structures though i mean lots Uh of structures yeah 
that look to be intact, which is another thing that baffles me. If this place is raining molten lead, everything else, why are these structures intact? Same thing on Venus. The structures are intact. There's no Mars. You can see destroyed structures, tops and things like that. But um, when you get into Venus again, why are these structures completely intact? And if so, and and for example, Venus. They sent 14 missions. Russia sent 14 missions to Venus, called the Venera missions. They landed. Uh, probes on the surface and took audio and video and photographs and supposedly the atmosphere is so harsh that nothing can even survive the atmosphere and it's, it's so hot that everything would catch on fire instantaneously but well how did the parachute, on Venus right you're talking about Venus, on Venus now but how did Go the ahead. parachute get the, the probes to land <laughs> and yeah, that's, yeah exactly days. you know so they're making it all up I mean if, if those parachutes are that strong every building in the world 9-11, those, the Twin Towers should have been built out of that material, if that's the case, because it's indestructible, obviously. But, mm -hmm. you know, they just made it up. The, the, the atmosphere isn't what they said it was, obviously, if you can land parachuted uh, probes on the planet. So what you're saying is that Venus can sustain life. So what's, what do you think is up there? I think that there's people living up there on Venus. From the USGS.gov uh, imagery that I've down, downloaded, uh, hundreds of, mm -hmm. of um, images, there's cities there that look to be completely intact and active on the surface of Venus, uh, which is totally amazing. Like, like our kind of cities, or is it similar to us, or is like different habitats? There's one particular picture that I have of the Burj Khalifa in Dubai and mm -hmm. how it looks from the sky, from space, looking down. And when you look at um, uh, this region, this one particular city that I discovered there on Venus, and I mapped it and everything and how the dimensions and everything else, it looks almost identical, except it looks a little bit more advanced, a little bit more space tech, a little bit more uh, like an advanced society, to be honest with you. I'll send That's you a copy cool. of this image, so maybe you can use it or put it mm -hmm. up on your blog or whatever you want to do. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. And the source link, and the source links as well, because we, we're very big on giving out the source links. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so there's other civilizations. Um, I actually, I, I, I see other frequencies, but, and I think that's why we can't really see a lot is because, you know, our eyes are, can only see a certain range of frequencies. Yeah. Um, and I was just t telling you about this as well. Uh, plus their, their time space is not a 24-hour cycle like we are here. Mm -hmm. So they would resonate at a different frequency or a different reality. Mm -hmm. So there's things that, and their reality can actually mesh in our reality with us even not knowing that we mm -hmm. just, you know, transitioned into their reality. Oh, yeah, we, don't, I believe that. we don't have sensors like that. Mm -hmm. our, our, our five senses don't pick up, right? Yeah. Right, you're right. There's such a thing as quantum walking in quantum mechanics. And in quantum walking, if you're in a, now they explain it on a particle level, but if you even look at it on the being level, every single person uh, has, has made of, we're all made of atoms, and every atom yep. res resonates at a specific frequency. So you have a particular resonant frequency of the atoms in your body, and there's right. also a resonant frequency of atoms of the copy of you in the multiverse. And if you reach a specific frequency, or even if it's not a copy of you, even if it's another being, there's a possibility for both to even cross through at specific frequency ranges by even by accident because these frequencies and these ranges as you know they fluctuate and they oscillate from time to time and if somebody's got one that's oscillating more than average 
that person's consciousness could even zip back and forth in between two realities as mm -hmm. well. And of course, say in and around us and all of, and all of, uh, all above us are different people in different dimensions because all dimensions are 90 degrees up from each other in a very small micron of space uh, above each other stacked. We're just living in a stacked, you know, thing. Uh, and yeah, so it's very possible to tap into those and get information from those. Yeah, I actually talk about that. I actually see those. Uh, and people, you know, and that's why I say precision is so, um, it's so necessary here. So I always say, you know, notice what you notice. Notice the details because if you're, say, a micron off in a reality, you could be, just think two to three microns, you could be in a totally different reality. Some of those realities are pretty scary. I mean, super scary stuff. A lot of times we, some people go into those scary things uh, or scary realities. Uh, um, you were saying quantum walking? Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, quantum walking, yeah. yeah. That was one of the so things I, that left with my mind when, with that experience. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty cool because I talk about that too where uh, I call it your blueprint level or your source code where there's your identity and then it's reflected down here and you'll see it as a hologram. Right. So it's pretty much the same thing, but yeah. I'll have to take a take a look at um take a look at that. That's pretty cool stuff. Uh, again, it parallels what I do actually, or how I edit people. Okay. Uh, I was telling you earlier, I was editing program people's programs, right? That's how I do it. Go into their source code, edit you there, and then um, you change. Uh, I think in the near future, as more and more um, uh, truths come out so to speak, mm -hmm. or more consciousness of a higher awareness comes out, uh, actually my abilities, other people's abilities will start showing up uh, even more. That's going to be really exciting, really exciting stuff. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. The, uh, the, I call it the high performance consciousness. Okay. Nice. People stepping into their higher ownership of their, you know, their higher abilities and what's really out there. Um, not the slave nation that literally that, this reality is turned into, right? It's a slave nation. Yeah, literally what it is.